Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. Well, here we go. It's message four in this series of messages called Lovers in a Dangerous Time. And today, I'm, I'm kind of excited. We're going to have a talk about sex. Now, for some of you, you're like, oh, I've been looking forward to this message. And for others of you, you're kind of dreading it because you saw in the advertisement that we're talking about relationships and marriage and sex. And you're like, man, we shouldn't be talking about sex in, in church. You know, for years, I've heard people say that. Why would we even talk about sex in church? Like, isn't that kind of inappropriate? And the thought would be this, that, that sex is like a dirty thing. Sex is a worldly thing, and we should leave that to the world. And when we come to church, we'll only talk about holy things. Well, hold on a sec. Just wait. We need to understand that sex is actually designed by God. It's a, a gift created by God to bring safety and fulfillment and satisfaction and joy. And in marriage, it's not something that we should throw away. Some people, when you talk about sex in church, they go, hey, pastor, I hope you're going to be age appropriate. And, you know, here you are, church at home. You say, my kids are in the room. I hope it's age appropriate. Truthfully, I'm actually not going to be age appropriate today because the appropriate age with which people talk about sex in our culture, my goodness, it's a lot younger than I think any of us should agree is appropriate. Do you know, in fact, statistics say that 11 is the average age that kids are first exposed to pornography, 11 years old. In fact, the, the culture we live in now, like, you know, we've traded Olivia Newton-John for Rihanna and whoever is the, the latest, greatest, newest voice and, and the casualness with which sex is talked about actually for a lot of children leaves it to be pretty confusing. Here's what I will promise. This will not be a message where, where I, the, the pastor, gets up and makes sure that everyone knows how fulfilled and satisfied my sex life is because I've been at services like that and it's so awkward when when the pastor is making small little jokes to make sure you know like hey we practice what we preach and we're always about excellence and they're talking about sex it also isn't going to be a message where I try to kind of shock and awe with how clinical or how crass I can be with the, the word choices that makes you feel like whoa he's really going there now, I'm also not going to fill the service with innuendo you know, the, the little setup that you should think there's a that's what she said moment coming. No, no, this is not something that, that we've got to get awkward about and, and treat as a joke. This is a, an important thing. In fact, culture is talking about sex all the time. Do you know that 25% of all internet use is pornographic? 25%. In fact, every single second, over 30,000 people are accessing pornography on the internet. Two thirds of those are male. One third of those are female. Like sex uh, on, on the internet, pornography, it has no demographic. All experts in the field say it literally is affecting the, the general psyche across culture of how we view sex. Culture is talking about sex always. Why? Well, sex sells. Why? Because it, it's this, this uh, twisted type of view that we've got that, that we need to talk about it in every way possible early and Here's the thing, when, when it comes to pornography, what it does is overemphasize and over-exaggerate the expectations that a person can have around sex, while at the very same time, it's proven to limit someone's ability to actually be vulnerable in their own sex life. So it's promising the world and leaving us with nothing. I, I just believe if 
we're okay with culture talking about sex. In fact, we live in this world that's so sexually crazed, then we probably need to give room for God, the creator of sex, to actually share his point of view. In fact, today's message, if you're taking notes, is, is titled this, Sex in Red Letters. Sex in Red Letters. Now, why in red letters? If you're new to the Bible, my Bible, it actually, it, it highlights words that Jesus says in red. In other words, today is about the things that Jesus specifically said about sex. First thing I want to draw your attention to is, uh, is this. The Bible speaks and Jesus speaks prescriptively about sex. He speaks prescriptively about it. In other words, gives the the picture with which he designed sex to be enjoyed and he designed sex for for us look at it this way in the book of Matthew chapter 19 if you could go there Matthew chapter 19 and uh, in verse 4 Matthew 19 verse 4 says this Jesus is speaking it's in red letters he says this haven't you read he replied that at the beginning the creator made the male and female and he said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and he'll be united to his wife, and the two will become one in flesh. So they are now no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You see here, Jesus is quoting the book of Genesis chapter 2, where it actually says Adam and Eve were together, they were naked and unashamed. Now, I know what someone's thinking. You're saying, say, Pastor Justin, are you talking about sex? Or are you talking about marriage? The answer to that question is yes. Because the, the plan that God had in place for sex is within the boundaries of marriage. They're, they're not two separate dynamics. They are actually one and the same. God created sex as a part of marriage. Marriage is really the only righteous context for sexual gratification to take place. So yes, Jesus is talking about marriage, and yes, Jesus is talking about sex. I think one of the most fundamental flaws that we have when thinking about sex is that we assume that every individual has the right to express themselves and their own desires, and that sex is a right that we all have, when the actual fact is that sex is a reward, and it's a responsibility for those who are married to one another. It's a reward and a responsibility. It's not our right. If we could just get that through our minds, it changes everything. Because we can look at the world sexualizing it, saying, I want to get out of this what I deserve. And what I want is what I deserve. It's my right. When the truth is, God said, I've got a gift for you. It's a reward. And it comes with a responsibility. Here's the thing I think I've found with, with human nature. Is that we want all the reward, but we don't love the responsibility. Come on. Is that, is that true in your life? I like, we want the reward. We just don't want the responsibility that comes along with the reward. We want the payout. We just don't want to have to work. Imagine if you could get a paycheck without ever having to show up to work. Now that is a novel idea. We want the reward. We just don't love the responsibility. And you see it all through scripture. Satan in heaven wanted the reward of honor, but he wasn't willing to have the responsibility of humility. Adam and Eve wanted the reward of knowledge. They just didn't want the responsibility of having to be taught. Abraham wanted the reward of the promise of, of a lineage of generations. He just didn't want the responsibility of patience. 
Achan wanted the reward of blessing. He just didn't want the responsibility of obedience. Come on. The King Solomon, or Saul, I should say, he wanted the reward of victory. He just didn't want the responsibility of making the right kind of sacrifice. Simon the sorcerer in the book of Acts, he wanted the reward of power. He just didn't want the responsibility of having a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And that's just to name a few. I see it in my own life, and I'm sure if you were to be introspective, you might see it in yours as well, saying, man, I want to, to take the pleasure out of a thing. I just don't want to have to pay the price that comes along with it, the, the pain and the, the work that it takes to really enjoy the gifts that life has to offer. I love in, in this piece of scripture, Jesus talks about leaving and cleaving. I don't, I don't know if you use the word cleave very much. I sure don't. This word leave obviously means to depart from or to leave behind. But the word cleave is so interesting. It's a Greek word, uh, proskoleo, which means to join oneself together with something so closely that you become stuck together. This is not talking about a hug. This is not talking about holding hands. This is a sexual reference to become one in flesh. In fact, this word is also used for the baking together of ingredients. Now imagine with me for a moment, if you were to bake a loaf of bread, look at the loaf of bread and say, actually, I don't prefer this loaf of bread. I'm gonna return it to its initial ingredients, separating them back. I'm gonna put the flour back. I'm gonna like deconstruct and put that egg back and start with what I began with. It doesn't work that way. In the same manner, Jesus is saying the design of God is this, that you depart from your family, your mother and your father, and you go cleave to your wife. You become one and you are inseparable and you become a new thing. That's kind of a cool thought of marriage. That marriage is not just two individuals. It's two individuals who have determined we are no longer going to see ourselves only as individuals. We have become one. What a cost. What a responsibility. Of course, it would make sense that there would be a reward that would come with that responsibility. Now to parents, I, I think it ought to be noted this, that it is our responsibility to make sure that our kids are ready to cleave before they leave. Like for real, right now, whatever age and stage of life your kids are in, it's your job to get them ready for what it would be to really cleave and to become one with someone else before they're ready to leave. So, so by this, I don't think that an appropriate way to approach sex is to tell your young daughter, it's probably time to get on birth control just in case. Or to tell your son, hey, don't, don't be stupid. Nor is it appropriate to simply have a talk that we call the birds and the bees. Okay, come on, like, let's at least choose a monogamous mammal if we're gonna try to use the animal kingdom to help us describe something as mystical and beautiful as sex. Birds and bees, come on. See, we, we get awkward about and we dance around or because we, we don't want to be seen as awkward, we are really casual and, and trite with the way we talk about sex. When the Bible is saying to parents, what a responsibility do you have to get your children ready for the massive responsibility it is to become one with someone else. That means that whatever age your kids are, it's the right time to begin to teach them to honor and to respect the people around them. It is the right time to model to them respecting people of the opposite gender. It's the right time for you to begin to model to your kids and to instruct your kids on having a reverence for God and the commitments we make. It's the right time to model tenderness 
and to model affection and to model communication and to help them fulfill in their commitments and have open dialogue and conversations about things they don't yet understand and don't yet have words to articulate. It's always going to be the right time to create a safe place in your home for your family to talk. And you're like, man, you're getting real deep into this. Yeah, I think it's a pretty deep topic and I don't want to be the person who complains about the the uh, overcomplication or oversimplification about the sex ed program in the local school system. Instead, I want to be a person who owns the responsibility I have to make sure that my household has a proper perspective on this incredible gift of sex that God created and designed. In this context, a man and a woman committed together for life in the safety of marriage. That's the prescription God gives. I feel really comfortable coming under that definition because it's the one that Jesus chose to use. He said, this is a beautiful thing. What God has joined together, let nobody try to separate. So the Bible speaks prescriptively about sex. I want to say to married people, don't hold on to your marriage so loosely. Cleave to one another. Be committed to one another in your words, in your thoughts, in your commitments in your time, in your investment, in your responsibility, really, truly cleave to one another. God has joined you together. Before God, you made a commitment. Now hold on to one another and, and treat that as a treasure. Now, number two, the Bible doesn't only speak prescriptively about sex. Jesus doesn't only talk about this perfect model. How wild would that be if he goes, here's the perfect picture, and then everyone who feels like you haven't hit that mark, well, Look again at the perfect ideal. I mean, that, that's just not the way Jesus interacts with people. Jesus also speaks correctively about sex. He does actually speak to those who are struggling and saying, I want you to, to change course. Let me show you the book of Matthew chapter 5, if you have your Bible. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27. Now, man, if we were together in a room all together, I know what would happen. There'd be some people who are like awkwardly giggling because just talking about sex makes them awkward. There would be another person who's taking notes so rapidly that the people around them would be like, whoa, you got to cool it on all these like sex notes that are going on right now. And then there'd be the person who's just like, play it cool, play it cool. Don't make eye contact with anyone. And I'd probably be saying things like, hey, is everyone good? You with me? You all good? So, hey, as you're at home, you good? You with me? Here we go. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is speaking now correctively about sex. And so it's again in red letters because it's the words that Jesus speaks. He says this, verse 27. You've heard it say uh, that you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. And in the same manner, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one part of your body than to lose your whole body and go into hell. Whoa, Jesus goes there. Like he makes this crazy, strict statement, or, or does he? What Jesus is saying here is that sex is not simply physical, it's emotional and spiritual. What he's saying is this, he's answering the question that, that so many young people ask, like how far is too far? What is the line and that I can stay on this side of and be appropriate? And if I go over that line, I'm no longer being appropriate. Jesus says the line is not in the physical act. The line is in the heart because sex is not simply physical. There's an emotional component. 
There's a spiritual component. And so he says, hey, I don't want you just to guard what your body is doing. I want you to be aware of the motivations of your heart. So if your eyes are wandering lustfully, that's already the thing that I'm looking for. And that's the part of you that I so desperately care about. And then he makes this massive statement. He goes, so, hey, if your eye causes you to sin, just cut it off. What about your hand? It's causing you to sin? Cut it off. Now, if Jesus was speaking literally, every single one of us would have amputated hands and, and would be listening to this indescribed video because we wouldn't be able to look anymore because all of our eyes have caused us to sin and all of our hands have gotten us in trouble in one vice or another. But here's what Jesus is saying. I want you to take a serious look at the things that are going on in your heart, your passions, your desires, your emotions, and your choices. At the time, the Pharisees said that as long as the law isn't violated, you're righteous. But Jesus says this, your righteousness actually needs to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. This was wild talk. This was, this was like revolutionary because in their time, the Pharisees were the most right of all of them. And Jesus said that the type of righteousness I'm looking for actually exceeds that because I'm not only looking for actions and results. I desperately care about your heart. And so be aware of what's going on in your heart and then respond to it. Deal with it. Jesus, I, I, I believe, obviously speaking in hyperbole, says whatever the cost, pay it. Whatever the cost, if it is gouging out your eyes and cutting off your hands, do that thing because I so care about your life and I so care about your eternity. I care about your emotions and your spirituality. So don't see sex as a physical transaction. Now he goes on to say things like this. If, if you think just not murdering someone is great, awesome. I'm telling you this, don't even hate them in your heart. In, in all things, Jesus is saying the standard I have for you is a heart standard not just a code of conduct on, on which you, know, you, you base your physical actions. He's saying, I care about your heart and we ought to understand how much our heart is invested in the things we do. In Jesus' day, women were required to wear veils and to wear hairnets to protect the men in their society from potentially being attracted to them. Now, I, I want to make this point as well. Being sheltered is not being righteous. Putting the pressure on other people to stop you from being tempted is not meaning that you're righteous. Righteousness is an act in our heart before God when we take the steps necessary to, to fix that problem. So here, here's the thing. Maybe the way that you sin sexually is through pornography and you, you're left feeling ashamed and you're left feeling exhausted, and you're left feeling embarrassed, and you're left feeling unsatisfied, unfulfilled, or maybe even manipulated. You say, how did I get here again? Maybe the, the way you sin sexually is through fantasy. Maybe it's through the desire, the need to be attractive. And so you flirt in such a way that you're just, I just need the affirmation that comes from people. And you're like, pastor, is that sin? You're saying I'm like flirtation is a sin? What I'm saying is this, your heart will tell you, what is a sin? And Jesus is asking you, look at your heart and then deal with what's going on in your heart. So he says this, like really make those steps where you recognize that there's something going on that's serious. Take it seriously. Repent. Repentance comes with feeling remorse, with acknowledging sin, with asking for grace, with accepting that grace and then 
moving forward. You need to know this and catch me. Righteousness is not just not doing things. Righteousness, it comes from the transaction of receiving God's grace. We're not righteous by effort. We're righteous by the gift of grace. But that grace of God is applied to our life where we invite him in. We, we get to be recipients of the grace of God when we invite God into our areas of weakness and then his power is doing its best work in the midst of our weakness. So Jesus speaks prescriptively about sex. Jesus speaks correctively about sex. And then this I'm really grateful for is that Jesus also speaks redemptively about sex. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of John chapter 8. John chapter 8, Jesus speaking words of redemption. You say, what is redemption? It's a church word. I'm not familiar with that word. This word redemption means to buy back. In other words, you've, you've lost, you've struck out, you have, have hit the bottom. You say, I've gone a place I didn't want to go. I'm hearing about the way Jesus prescribed for sex to be, and I've lived way out of bounds there. I'm starting to become aware of my own motives and my emotions and the spirituality and realizing I'm missing the mark all over the place. Now what? Well, now what is redemption? Now what is Jesus covering over and buying back the places where we failed? Look at this, John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Receive these words uh, of redemption. It says this uh, in verse 2. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who had been caught in adultery. Take note of that word caught. She had been caught in adultery. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought her. They, they made her stand before the group and they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was just caught in the act of adultery. Now, I would always ask, where was the man? Why did they only bring the woman? Pretty unfair. You can't get caught in an act of adultery all alone. Good point. Uh, check this out. They say in the law, Moses commanded that a woman like this should be stoned. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus instead bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw their stone. And again, he stooped down and he wrote in the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman. She was still standing there. Verse 10, Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they who have condemned you? She said, No one has condemned me, sir. He responded, Then neither do I condemn you. And he declared this, go now and leave your life of sin. So much happening in this story. It's a message all unto itself. But here's the things I want us to catch today. She got caught in her act of sin in the very act. Maybe today, as you're looking at the word of God, you say, I feel so stuck. I got caught. I'm out of line. I'm, I'm living wrong. I'm not doing right. Now I look and I say, a woman like this was wrong. That the man was not also brought, but she was also wrong. She was living outside of the boundaries that God had prescribed. But look at the grace and the kindness of Jesus. The only person in the room who was capable of truly condemning her because he had not sinned, chose not to condemn. And one by one, they became aware that I'm not perfect enough to cast a stone. And then Jesus extends to her grace. She got caught in the act of sin, but she actually got caught in the arms of grace. She got caught in the grace of Jesus. Getting caught that day was the best thing that ever ha happened to her. And I think the same would be true in, in your life. If you feel like I'm, I'm stuck, I'm caught, I don't like where I'm at right now. I don't like the way I'm living or I'm aware that it's been out of the bounds and 
Now, how do I fix my past? Friend, you don't fix your past, but the grace of God actually redeems. Now, note this. Jesus doesn't say, hey, no problem. You know, you're just, you're just young. He doesn't say to her, oh, yeah, you know what I mean. Girls gone wild and boys will be boys. And it just happened that way. You know, it's no big deal. You're not as bad as other people. He does say the life you're living is a life of sin, but you have the ability to leave that life of sin, to make different steps. So I want to challenge you to go from where you're at and leave your life of sin. Jesus extends to her grace, the grace she needed to have confidence to move forward. But he also gives us the grace that we need to say no to sin. He gives us the grace we need to live in righteousness, not because we work harder, but a righteousness that comes with understanding how powerless we really are and how desperately we really need them. So Jesus speaks prescriptively about sex and he speaks correctively about sex. And today, if you look at the prescribed order or you looked at the way he, he calls us to take it seriously, you might be aware, I have missed the mark on this. Then thank God he speaks also redemptively of sex. He says, I'm not condemning you. And here at Vivid, we're not condemning you. Man, if we were condemning, I could not throw the first stone and neither could anybody else on this, this uh, live link today. None of us. But Jesus, the one who's capable of condemning, says, I choose not to condemn. Instead, I want to extend my grace to you. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.